any further, uh, and the guys in the back are, are freaking out because this isn't in the script, but... No, you're not off the hook. Uh, I want to make an introduction for, uh, for you. Uh, this is Mr. Kyle Jones. He is our assistant uh, minister of worship, uh, director of worship, and he is our principal organist, and uh, he'll be accompanying and working with the young people in their choirs. And Kyle, welcome. He, he came all the way from California. So let, let's welcome my brother. Glad you're here. Glad you're here. Well, good morning, saints. Good morning. morning, the sinners. As we come this morning, we are going to be looking um, at one of three pastoral letters written by the Apostle Paul to uh, aspiring uh, young leaders in the church. The pastoral epistles comprise of First and Second Timothy and Titus, and they contain sage advice from an older, seasoned pastor written to a new generation of leadership that is beginning to emerge within the early church. Um, it's analogous to me of I moved away and started writing letters to Nick, who is considerably younger than me, and give him instructions and advice on how to deal with you, the people of God. The pastorals are Paul's notes of encouragement to the young leaders of the church. Now, Paul's focus in 1 Timothy is to help Timothy learn how, first of all, deal with difficult, divisive members of the church. Who would have thought? You know, people using their leadership as a means to teach inaccurate information about the gospel. Paul's words to Timothy uh, are words that are reminding him and the church how to live and act as a church. He's asking Timothy to step up and step into vital leadership. In other words, to ensure that the pure gospel message is communicated, not watered down and diluted. Turn in your Bible to 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 7, as we read this portion of Paul's pastoral letter to Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. Listen to the word of the Lord. Paul writing, First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for everyone, for kings and all who are in high positions, so that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all goodness and dignity. This is right and is acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires everyone to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God, there is also one mediator between God and humankind, Christ Jesus, himself a human, who gave himself a ransom for all. Now this was attested at the right time. For this I was appointed a herald and an apostle. And I tell you, I'm telling you the truth, I'm not lying. I'm a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and in truth. 
This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God indeed. Our letter today contains two important lessons for us. Um, The first lesson is this. It's that the number one priority in a Christian community is prayer. And the second lesson that it outlines uh, that teaches us are four foundational truths that make up what the gospel is and what Timothy and the church in Ephesus is supposed to be talking about. So let's look at the first lesson. What is the most important thing for the people of God calling the church to do? Prayer. Prayer. This foundational truth in Timothy is to teach the church to make prayer its number one priority. Honestly, Paul is, um, is giving Timothy and giving us a helpful reminder um, as to what the content of our prayers are to be about. Most often when you and I pray, our prayers are directed heavenward for our personal benefit. It's like we're going to God with an Amazon wish list for Whole Foods and we uh, direct, please, I need this, I need this, I need this. We pray for a better job. We pray for a better paycheck. We pray for a better relationship with our spouse or kids, a successful winning game. A lot of you from Florida were praying for them yesterday. Think of your prayers, church. Think of your prayers. For whose benefit and behalf are they directed to? To God or to your benefit? Or is it for everyone else? Paul says it's for everyone else. I am not suggesting that we do not pray for our individual particular needs. I am saying, however, that our form of prayer needs to follow the Jesus model of living. And that is this. He lived to share love with others. He humbled himself as a servant of others. He sacrificed himself so that others, people like you and me, so that we can live. Brothers and sisters, the the Knox translation of our passage this morning says it very, very beautifully. It says this, this, first of all, I ask, That petition, prayer, entreaty, and thanksgiving should be offered for all humankind, especially for kings and others in high station, so that we can live a calm and tranquil life as dutifully and decently as we may. Now, the one temptation about this text is we want to parse all those types of prayer. What does Paul mean with prayers? What does he mean by intercessions? What's a supplication? I get an idea of what Thanksgiving is. But if we begin to parse what those types of prayers are, we're missing the point. Paul is saying the number one priority in the church is prayer. It needs to include supplication. It needs to include intercession. It's supposed to include Thanksgiving. You're supposed to pray for Prayer is the number one priority of the church. 
And in these types of prayer compose the foundation of your and my worship. Furthermore, they are prayers directed on behalf of a certain group of people. Church, who did Paul say we are to pray for? All of humankind. Those who are leaders in our society and political sphere. Did you notice who was missing from the list that we are to pray for? Did you catch it? Ourselves. We are excluded from the list. We, he doesn't say pray for yourself. He's telling church, pray for all humankind. Pray for the leaders in the community. You see, our prayers, church, are for the benefit of others. The church is praying for the world, literally. We're to pray for all people. That's our number one task in worship. We are to pray for people we really like. We're also to pray for those people we really dislike. We are to pray for people who think just like you and me. But we are also to pray for those who have a contrary opinion to what I believe. We are to pray for the Ukrainians. While at the very same time, we are to pray for those Russian soldiers and mercenaries who are brutally torturing innocent people. We are to pray for everyone. Everyone. The most lovable, the most despicable. Everyone. We are also to be specific and pray for our leaders in society. Um, Paul is, is unique in this. Even We're to pray for our leaders even if we think they're jerks and are totally acting out of their own self-interest. He's telling the Ephesians to pray for Caesar and the Roman guards. Think about that. Paul's perhaps in prison, and he's saying, pray to Caesar and the Roman guards. He's telling the Ephesians, the Jewish believers, to pray for the Gentile believers that they will come to understand the full gospel. He's telling you and me to pray for Putin and Zelensky. He's telling you Democrats to pray earnestly for Republicans and you Republicans to pray earnestly for those Democrats. We're to pray for our police chief, our fire chief, our mayors, our city council members, even though they spend money on an underground tunnel for Tesla. <laughs> and why are we to pray for them? Why? We are not praying for their cause. We are not praying for their candidacy, for their success or prosperity. We are not praying for them because we agree with them or disagree with them and want them to see things my way. No, we lift all types of prayers for humankind and for those who are in charge and make the rules. Why? So that we, you and I, the church, the body of Christ, may live quiet, peaceable lives in a manner that God finds appealing and beneficial. We are to pray for our king, kings, our presidents, our governors, mayors, council people, so that under their leadership, the church 
can be about the business of doing what the church does. And that's ministry of Jesus to people around us. We are to pray for our leaders that they will set the environment and the context for the church to do the sharing love of Jesus to the world. So why is this important? Well, because verse 4 reminds us that God desires, and listen to this, for all of us, all of us who have really strong feelings about who's in and who's out. Because verse 4 reminds us, God says, God desires everyone to be saved, to come to the knowledge of truth. God desires everyone to be saved, to come to the knowledge of the truth. Paul is calling the church to prayer for the society's leader's role, and it's for a sole evangelistic purpose, brothers and sisters. It's, it's for the sole evangelistic witness and purpose of sharing the good news of Jesus to those who are deaf to the whispers of the Holy Spirit. Beloved, this church, our Episcopalian neighbors, our folks at First Baptist Church, our friends at First Methodist Church, the people at St. Anthony's Catholic Church, the church of what's happening now, insert your own. We are to pray for these churches' leaders so that these churches can do unhindered ministry in the community. So that we can share the gospel, the good news, and then radically burn down this town with the flames of the Holy Spirit. Now switching gears, that's the first lesson. Pray. For people out there and our leaders. The second lesson is this. In chapter 1 of 1 Timothy, we've got to remember it's a letter. And so reading a letter, what you would do is you slide back in the letter a little bit closer to the beginning with verse 3 of 1 Timothy. And what we read is a story how Paul is telling Timothy to keep the people together. Yes, there are people who are trying to cause divisions in the church. There are people who are trying to dust things up and teach a faith that is not um, really a Christian faith. So that's earlier in the letter. And now Paul is encouraging Timothy to teach sound doctrine. Sound doctrine to the church with love at its foundation. Our scripture today, my friends, only tells the church to pray for an environment where we can winsomely share the good news. But in verses 5 and 6, Paul gives us a kernel, the essence of what that winsome gospel is. He's telling Timothy, remember I said about those teaching bad stuff? This is what you're to teach them. This is what the gospel is. There's only one God, and His Savior is Jesus. There is one mediator standing in the gap between the divine and humankind. That Jesus was indeed a human being, a flesh and blood man, a Palestinian Jew who worked 
who cut himself, who had a cold, who enjoyed wine, who, who got angry, laughed, enjoyed a good dinner, had friends who loved him and friends who stabbed him in the back. He's one of us. But this man Jesus, fourth, humbled himself for us in order for him to be the ransom, the payoff for all people of all time, reconciling us back to God. One God whose Savior is Jesus, one mediator standing in the gap for all humankind, a human being himself, and he ransomed himself for you and me. That is the winsome gospel. Paul wants Timothy to preach and teach to the detractors in the church. It's all there in two little verses. So beloved, this is the essence of the Christian message. This is the essence of what is evangelism or invitation. It's there is one God and Savior who became a human being in order to hold heaven and earth together by ransoming, giving up his rights as God so that you and I can live to tell others the winsome news of the gospel. But first, Paul gives us marching orders. We're called to pray for everyone. We are to pray for everyone. Including, including our civic leaders. Why? So that we can share the winsome news of God's presence and work in Jesus of Nazareth, the man who is the beloved God himself. So, can we all say that we'll commit to do this as a church? Mercy. Nobody? Church, can you commit to that? We're in trouble. Can we commit to make prayer central to the life of this church? To share the gospel of Christ out in the world? People, can we do it? Will you do it? Then let's pray. Lord God, I know my wife is looking down on me, fussing at me because I've lifted my voice in church. Tell her to chill. Lord, we come and we are reminded by Paul to turn our prayers outward. Outward and upward to you. Outward to our neighbors and up to you. In order that the leaders of our communities will make a conducive environment that we as people of the faith can live our lives quietly but intentionally living out what it means to follow Jesus in our community. Quietly, gently, graciously so that others will get an aroma 
of what that good news is. Come, Holy Spirit. Take our lives. Bend them and mold them. Amen. Friends, I invite you to stand. Let's sing our closing hymn.